So uh, we're going to do something a little bit different, um, something I'm not entirely uh, uh, comfortable with, because my wheelhouse is uh, in teaching is is all scripture. Um, uh, since uh, since I've been here just over uh, four and a half years, uh, we have uh, taught through every single gospel. We've taught through uh, Ephesians, Exodus, Acts, Joshua. Uh, we've taught through Esther. We've even taught Leviticus and Ecclesiastes. Uh, and, uh, uh, and in fact, coming up here pretty soon, uh, leading us into the, the school season, we're going to do Nehemiah, which uh, I, I love Nehemiah. And we just finished a, a series out of uh, John chapter 15, uh, a series about, about flourishing and, and fruitfulness. Uh, in fact, it says, go ahead and throw that, that first scripture on the screen. In John 15, it says, when you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. And we, we talked about this idea of fruitfulness and discipleship and, and being chosen. We've talked about this deep connection to, to Jesus, the, the true vine. We had artwork, we did the whole thing. Uh, we talked about fruit as, you know, really anything that happens when we bring our lives into alignment with, with Jesus Christ, when, when we begin to intentionally, like, participate in, in God's will for our world. We, we talked about this being God's desire for us. We, we talked about literally, like, he chose us for this purpose. And while we talked a lot about flourishing and fruitfulness and being chosen and even talked a, a lot about discipleship, uh, what we didn't talk a whole lot about was how. It says that you didn't, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, I pointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. And we talked about what that meant, but we didn't spend a whole lot of time on the how. How do we produce fruit? How do we grow as followers of Jesus Christ? How do we make disciples. Some of you are, are plugged into, uh, we've got a couple of different disciple groups that, that, are, uh, that are happening, and, and these groups are, are, are exploring and opening up. Uh, I wouldn't say we've got it all figured out, but these groups are all about, okay, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, and what, what would that look like today, now, here in our world? And, and guiding these groups isn't a, isn't a strict kind of outline or anything like that, but guiding these discipleship, fruit-producing Groups that are that are trying to figure out what this all means are some core values. So here are some of the values that that is driving these questions, uh, driving these discipleship groups. Uh, uh, one of our core values is that it has to start with Jesus. We believe it starts with him. I've been I've been really compelled. Uh, uh, in fact, we've been telling uh, Philip as we've been talking about worship leading and and future scheduling stuff had some stuff on the schedule, but I said, man, I just, I feel like we need to come back to Jesus again and again and again. And, and I've preached through all four gospels, but I feel like we need to just start over and go back again because we need to know the stories of Jesus uh, uh, intimately and deeply, be able to repeat them, to, to know the values behind who he is. So in our discipleship groups, we're, we're putting that same emphasis of, of starting with Jesus but we also believe like, like these groups, as we think about discipleship and producing fruit and growing as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we feel like, like this, this ultimately has an outward focus. There's, there's definitely an inward element, but, but, but if this doesn't somehow maneuver us, push us to move outside of ourselves, then, then we've really missed something. 
So it starts with Jesus. It, it, it needs to have an outward focus. What we do needs to be repeatable. It needs to be something that anyone looks at and goes, oh, you know, I could do that. We think there's a, a priority to small. I know we're a small church, but we feel like even smaller groups are, are, are the place where real growth happens. We think there needs to be some consistency, and, and we struggle with that in our world because everyone is so, what's the word for our generation? Overwhelmed. How many times a day do you hear that word? So how do we find consistency together? We also think these groups need to be open, like, like always open, like always inclusive, and that helps with the outward focus. But, but maybe the most important value, or I, I, don't, I won't say that, maybe another one of the values of these groups is that it has to be simple. How do we simplify, and, and I mean simple but not easy, how do we simplify the way of Jesus? How do we, in a simple way, help people bring their lives into alignment with the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. If, if I knew a simple way for you to, to maneuver your life into uh, being more Christ-like, being more like Jesus, would you be interested? No. Awesome. This series is going to go a long ways. <laughs> so uh, I heard a great speaker and I read a great book, and here's where we're going to go a, a, a little bit off the, off the beaten path for us, and we do this every now and then. Uh, Michael Frost is a speaker, professor, pastor of a, of a faith community in Australia. And so he's, since he's Australian, that means he's super weird. Um, but, uh, but, but, but he's also good. He wrote a book recently called Surprise the World. And uh, if you came to, to Frost and said, man, how do we produce lasting fruit? Scripture says this is what the, the job we were chosen for. How, how do we do that? How do I do that? And in, in today, my family, and my how, how do I grow as a follower of Jesus Christ? Frost would say, I want you to practice five simple habits. So habits, kind of the things we do, kind of guide our behavior. He doesn't want to start with the necessarily the values, but he said, I want you to do five simple things. And, and he introduces uh, five simple habits. Now, these simple habits, believe it or not, ha have taken fire in churches around the world. Uh, churches all over in just about every country are now stepping into five simple habits to, to produce fruit. Uh, some of you might remember uh, a couple of years ago, we did a thing called the Hospitality Challenge. Do you guys remember this? Uh, where we challenge you, okay, we want you to, uh, in the next 30 days, we want you to invite someone into your home and have a meal. In the next 30 days, we want you to serve someone in, in a really tangible way. In the next 30 days, we want you to do something like that. And so, uh, Frost, five simple habits kind of, kind of go along that same vein. And so, for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about uh, one habit each week for the next five weeks. Simple habits to produce fruit. So before we get to uh, week one and, and, and the first simple habit, uh, I want to talk about curiosity. Are, do we have anyone in here that are, are, you're just naturally curious about things? Does that happen to, do, like you took your parents' toaster apart when you were four years old and it still has never gotten back together? Like, like uh, I think that's good. I, I love that. 
Yo, some people put it back together. It didn't work. He got it back together. There's some extra parts. Um, how would you describe Christianity? What are, uh, what are some, uh, some adjectives you would use to describe Christianity? Christianity is what? Fill in the blank. Somebody fill in the blank. Christianity is love. love. All right. Good church answer. Fine. <laughs> Somebody else. Christianity is what? Challenging. Challenging. Okay. Christianity is hope. Christianity is a discipline. Christianity is, say it loud, different. different. Is that what you said? Some forgiveness. Somebody else? Faithfulness. Work. Misunderstood. Wow, that's super deep. I don't even know where to go with that. <clears throat> All I can think is that song in my head now. Um, so when, uh, uh, when I'm teaching, I, I tell people there's two great sins. So sometimes we have guest speakers come and teach for me. And uh, when I'm teaching, I, I tell them, man, like, like there's, there's two great sins when you teach, uh, uh, especially in kind of this role. The first is if you're in a text to, to just get the text wrong, to, to be wrong about the idea, be wrong about the scripture, be wrong about where it's going and where it's taking it. And the second great sin uh, in, a, in a teaching role is to make it boring. <laughs> Maybe I'm committing that right now. Um, the, I think the same thing could be said about Christianity as a whole. Like we could be wrong about what it's about and what it means, but but I think the second great sin in Christianity, and, and an adjective maybe far too many people would use to describe Christianity, is boring. I'm afraid that sometimes we make Christianity boring. So recently we did a... a, a <clears throat> I walked with the, the teenagers through 1 Peter. You guys know 1 Peter? So 1 Peter is like super deep and thick and, and rich and uses this, this rich language. And, and Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are, are in, a, in an inherently non-Christian environment. Man, they're, they're struggling. Like, like they don't know how to be a Christian in this world. And, and the people around them don't get what they're doing or why they're living. And, uh, and, and Peter's encouraging them. Man, I know it's tough. I know. Stay in this fight. You can do this. Stay in it. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, if someone asks you, or it says, here's the whole verse, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And, and then in this amazing pocket of encouraging them to stand and be strong and faithful, Peter reminds these Christians, he says, if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. And maybe you've heard it, uh, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And Peter's assumption, I think, in this verse is that when you become a disciple of Jesus, Peter's assumption is that when you grow as his follower, when you bring your life into alignment with Jesus' life, it will be anything but boring. The way of Jesus, I think, as much now as, as it was then, is curious and questionable. 
Peter knows when you start to live like Jesus, commit to being his followers, people will naturally have questions about how and why you live like you do. Are you with me? So I don't think there's anything wrong with living, you know, kind of fine, upstanding, middle class lifestyle in the suburbs. There's nothing wrong with with cutting your lawn or saying hi to your neighbor or washing your car or walking the dog or driving to your office every day. But let's be honest, it isn't very intriguing. Not likely to get many questions. I recently talked to um, this couple. Um, they they bought like a like a condo, like a duplex kind of thing, and uh, they're they're fixing it up, and it's going to be this great source of like supplemental income for them. You know what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm talking about? So they've been trying to get it all set up, and they've been uh, they've been trying to get renters and put it on Airbnb and all this, and like it's going to be this 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 great source of you know additional income. Except when I talked to them recently, um, all they could talk about was how they could use it to serve people. All they could talk about is how they couldn't wait to have people who needed a place to stay and couldn't afford it come and stay there. All they could talk about is, man, when we have friends or when we see people that need something, man, all of a sudden now we'll have this great place and people could come and stay there. That's questionable, right? All of a sudden, they, they stepped into this kind of curious reality of Jesus. Uh, and it's a reality, it's questionable, because in our world, in our context, like in our culture, if you could make money doing it, if this is going to make you money, why would you even consider doing it for free? See how this works. Uh, Frost in his book, he, he says that when predictability is high, impact is very, very low. So when people kind of know what to expect, you're, you're not going to have much impact. But when your friends and neighbors and coworkers are surprised by your actions, surprised by the different ways your faith leaks out of you, all of a sudden, you've done this great thing for Christianity and you have aroused curiosity. Tell me that your friends and neighbors here in Nashville don't think they already know everything there is to know about Christians and church and Christianity. Right? So what would it take for you to arouse some new curiosity in the person of Jesus Christ. Frost would say we do this by cultivating some new habits. And we'll talk about these five habits over the next five weeks. But the first habit he wants to cultivate in us to produce lasting fruit, to grow as disciples, is a habit of blessing others. In Genesis, in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, uh, there's this, this awesome Awesome thing that happens. Okay, so Genesis, all the way back at the beginning, all the way back with Abram, it says that the Lord said to Abram, I want you to leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go into the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to, what's the word? 
I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And look what it says. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the way back at the beginning, we, even when, when Jesus is, is, is calling his chosen people out of the world, he's calling them out for a person's purpose. He says, yes, you will be blessed. Yes, you are my chosen people. You are blessed because of that, and I want to bless you. And also, the reason I'm blessing you is so that you can be a blessing to the nations. There's this great passage I came across this past week in, in just some prayer and study time in Isaiah 56. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I challenge you to go there and maybe spend some time in it. But it's a passage about blessing and God's willingness to bless. And, and it goes to a completely uh, unexpected place for me. It talks about God blessing uh, eunuchs and foreigners. Really bizarre stuff, especially to be found in the Old Testament, a very Jewish way of thinking about things, very clear ideas about insiders and outsiders. And a eunuch, especially in the Jewish mind, is as far an outsider as you can get. And yet in Isaiah 56, God is talking about, you know, you eunuchs, I, I know that you'll never have a family and you'll never have these things. But if you give your life to me, I'll bless you. And then he turns his attention, like, like he's, we, we have this picture in the Old Testament of God kind of looking at his chosen people, and his focus is on this, this inner circle of chosen people. And then in Isaiah 56, he raises his head up and says, you know, you foreigners too, my heart is to bless you also. If we fast forward all the way to the New Testament, the example of Jesus blessing people is, is prevalent. He doesn't just bless the bread before he breaks it. But you remember the story of let the little children come to me. He has a way of paying attention to people. Even, uh, even uh, uh, Philip reminded me this week of the way Jesus kind of consistently like, met people's needs before he ever tried to teach them. Like, like he was paying attention. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't heal, the, heal the lame or feed the hungry just so he can get to this great teaching moment. No, he, he does these awesome blessings. Why? That's who he is. Even... Uh, his most famous teaching begins with words of blessing, right? Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are. He begins with blessing. A few years ago, we did a teaching series about the job of the church. And one of the things we, we, it became incredibly clear was that our job as a church, the church has a job. And one of those jobs is to bless. In fact, even uh, in August this year, you'll get to participate as we do a backpack blessing. Have you guys been here for this? Have you seen this? So we bring all our kids in. We gear the whole teaching around them. We, we tell them to bring their, black, their backpacks, and we, take, we just take an opportunity to say we love you, and you belong to us, and we're proud of you. We want you to do good. We know that you have such great potential, and we just spend some time blessing our kids. So the first habit of Frost, uh, uh, five habits to a fruit-producing, curious, questionable life is to bless three people this week. I think I, I may even have it on the screen. Maybe I don't have it on the screen. At least one of whom who is not a member of the church. So your homework. 
I, I know this is maybe, maybe this seems really simple, and if it does, good, mission accomplished. Your homework this week is to bless three people, at least one of whom uh, is not, uh, uh, Frost uses the word member, but I'm trying to change that to friend. So um, I want you to bless three people this week, at least one of whom is, who is not a friend of our church. Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. So I want you to turn your radar. I want you to turn your attention towards blessing. And, and this can take a couple of different forms. Uh, uh, and what's great about this is this is already firmly in the wheelhouse of this church. What was it? Even just a couple of weeks ago, people from this church raised over $1,000 to help a friend of this church who lives in India. We haven't seen him. We don't have a whole lot of contact with him. But they saw a need and said, man, you know, here's a chance for us to be a blessing to someone else. I was a part of a church for a little while that, uh, uh, believe it or not, on a Sunday morning just like this, a stranger walked through the doors of the church, responded kind of at the end of the service, and just in tears said to the church, said, I I'm sorry, but I need a kidney. I've been to church after church after church down this row, and, and I'm desperate. That's the only reason I'm here. If I, if I don't get a kidney, if I don't get a, it's, it's going to be terminal for me. I, I need a kidney. And I was that there when people lined up to be tested and see if there would be a match. And you know what happened? A complete stranger got a kidney. That's curious, isn't it? That's questionable. But it doesn't have to be a, a bodily organ. It could be as simple as words of affirmation, right? A thoughtful word has deep and lasting impact. Uh, Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? When was the last time you shared a really thoughtful, good word of encouragement with someone else, when, when, they, uh, when it was unexpected. It has power. Maybe it could be a, 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 as easy as an act of kindness, a, of simply doing someone a good turn on purpose. Uh, we, uh, 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 after Easter, uh, the Sunday after Easter, we did a big Serve Our City event. We, we canceled all of our services and partnered with other churches, and we sent you out in the city to serve in the name of God. And that was an awesome Sunday, and you did great. And what has happened since then? <laughs> like, we want that to keep happening. We can't just make it about one day and one moment, but it has to become a habit of our life. Finally, I, I encourage you to give gifts. It doesn't have to be ex expensive or extravagant, but a gift at the heart of gift giving is the spirit of love. Give somebody a gift when it's not Father's Day or it's not Mother's Day or it's not their birthday. Just because you were thinking about that person says a lot. It's powerful. It's questionable. But I want to give you some warnings. So I'm going to send you out. I want you to bless three people this week, at least one who is not a friend of our church. But I, I want to put some heavy warnings on this. First off, um, your, your blessing is not to be in any way, shape, or form some sort of bribe to get this person to come to church with you. Are you with me? 
um, this, uh, this blessing that you are offering is, is in no way, shape, or form intended as some sort of covert conversion tactic, right? I cut your grass, now I'm ready to baptize you. <laughs> you know, just stop it. Remember what it said in Genesis. We were chosen by God to receive blessings from God, but also to be a blessing. Blessing others isn't, it can't come with some sort of strings attached or, or as a part of some sort of agenda, no matter how good your agenda may be, right? We bless because that's who we are. It is the identity of Christ in us. Are you with me? People are not projects. Let's treat them that way. So, warnings. Uh, it, it's not a bribe. It's not a conversion tactic. Uh, I, I don't want you to bless, you know, if, if there's even a hint that you're going to gain something out of this personally, just, just find a different way. Um, a key to successful blessing is that the recipient must actually feel blessed. <laughs> Think about it. If you're going to be really successful at this, the person you're blessing actually has to feel blessed. If you feel really good about what you did and they're kind of like, hmm, let's start over, all right? They have to feel blessed. Blessers must become, as I send you out to do this, Blessers must become students of those whom they're going to bless. All right, if you're going to do this and it's going to be meaningful and impactful, I know it sounds simple, but, but you really need to pay attention, right? You're going to have to be watching this person, not, not in a stalker kind of way, but you're, you're going to have to be attentive to their needs and their fears and their hopes and their yearnings. Uh, as blessers, you're going to have to see things that no one else sees, you're going to have to pay attention to others in a way that, that our, most of our culture doesn't have time for. And I remind you too, as I send you out to bless, like there's no guarantee that people won't misunderstand. So I, uh, I've been taking golf lessons and uh, uh, I made the, the pro uh, at, at my golf course. I cooked him dinner. Did I tell you all this story? So... Um, <laughs> In the vein of blessing and encouraging people, so we were we were grilling out one night, and and I did it up right. Like uh, we had a, a special like mahi mahi fish that I grilled, and with all this kind of this this special citrus sauce that made it, and, and I made a special salad with with vinaigrette, and I packaged it up in this little thing, and even put like the uh, like like the the plastic utensils and and the napkin around it. And it did not occur to me until, like, I handed it to my golf pro exactly how gay that seemed. Like, um, uh, because he totally, like, did not understand at all. <laughs> um, and it was this crazy, awkward, awkward moment. Um, because I... I was just trying to do something nice. Does that make sense? I was trying to bless. I was trying to do something that was genuine and like actually took time and effort and thoughtfulness. 
but he totally didn't understand. It was, it was curious and questionable, but I don't know in quite the way that, that I hoped for. Like, do you get it, though? Like, like our world has, uh, I feel like too, much, too many times in our world, our, our, our world, our culture doesn't, doesn't have a context for, for selflessness. You know what I'm saying? We don't, we don't see selflessness very enough. We don't see it frequently enough. And when we do see it, we, uh, the, the people that you're going to serve and the people you're going to bless, you, this is going to show you, this is going to tell you so much. But, but when you serve them and, and, and bless them, their, their immediate thought is, is going to be like, what, where's the catch? Right? Had a... Um, Actually, a guy here at our, our church, kind of following the same path, uh, literally went and uh, mowed his neighbor's grass while he was, he knew the neighbor was out of town, didn't have to do it, just, just jumped in there and just did it, was ju- trying to do a nice thing, and the neighbor was mad at him because he thought it would come with some sort of string attacks, thought, thought it would come with some sort of expectation. He felt like now he was going to, like, like our friend who, who cut the grass was going to somehow hold it over him. You see what I'm saying? See why this is so powerful? You know, we, we have become, sometimes as a culture, we, we become destructively independent. We're so independent, it, it's, to, it's to our detriment. Everyone is out to get theirs and no time for anyone else. There, there's, we're all overwhelmed. Our world has very little capacity to understand like any kind of altruistic behavior or selflessness. So beware, when I send you out to bless three people this week, they very well may not understand what or why you're doing it. But that's a part of this questionable life. So in just a moment, um, we're going to enter into a time of communion. Go ahead and invite the worship team to c- come back up here if you guys want to. We've got communion stations set up around the room. And um, I, I, I kind of want to encourage you, like, hey, maybe now even in this communion time, maybe this, this could be a great chance for you to bless someone else here with the word of affirmation. But, but I hesitate to do that because that's not very thoughtful, all right? So maybe you could just jump and say, now's my chance. I'll get this done right here and check this off my list. No, I challenge you to be a little bit more thoughtful, even though communion is an amazing place to encourage someone else, right? As we receive all that Christ has for us to share that with each other, the the context is a shared meal with each other. So in just a few moments, we're going to invite you to this shared meal, this, this Eucharist, the celebration of Christ and his life and uh, all, that, all that that means and what he gave himself uh, as he gave himself up for us. But before we get there, I just want to share a, a couple of closing thoughts. How do we produce lasting fruit? How do we grow followers of Jesus Christ? How do we live in such a way that arouses curiosity? How do we live questionable lives? How do we live in such a way that others are alerted to the reign of God in our world? I invite you to start with one simple 
habit. Why don't you just read these words on the screen? Let's read them together. Let's make this commitment together. Are, are, are you ready to make this commitment for this week? Yes. Let's read these words together. I will bless three people this week, at least one of whom is not a friend of our church. You're in it now. Now, when you begin to bless these people, when your friends and neighbors and strangers and co-workers ask, why are you doing this? Where'd this come from? This seems really out of the blue. When they begin to ask about the hope that you have, don't tell them, well, my pastor said we've got to bless three people this week and you're my number three, so I get to check this off my list. When your friends and neighbors ask, when you've aroused some, some, some holy curiosity in their life, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the love and the kindness and the forgiveness and the grace that you have personally experienced. Tell them, oh, you know, I just feel like God has blessed my life so much and this is just kind of the person I feel like he wants me to be. When we live curious, questionable lives, people will begin to ask us about Jesus. Do you see that? Make sure you have an answer. As we wrap up our time together, I just don't, I don't know where you're at, but man, if there's a way that uh, our church could serve you or pray for you, if there's a way that, that, that we, can, we can bless you, I want you to know that, that none of this is going to be possible on your own. The, the kind of powerful blessing that we're talking about isn't going to be something that you can kind of engineer and grind out all by yourself through, through your own will. But, it, but, but this is only going to come through a deep connection with the true vine, the source, Jesus Christ. And, and maybe you don't have that connection, or maybe that connection's been faltering or struggling. Maybe it's been a long time. If there's a way we can pray for you or serve you, man, man we want you to respond to to that, that urging in your spirit. Maybe even you're ready to give your life to Christ and be baptized and accept all that he has to offer. Man, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. So during this community time, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm gonna step to the back and if there's a way that we can serve you or receive you, man, we, we want that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for its power. Uh, I, I thank you for this kind of simple path that, uh, that, that you're setting us on, that you're turning us towards. Father God, let, it, let every part of this be motivated through, through some deep connection we have to you. Let us uh, right now, Father God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, li start lining people up right now. Fill, fill every head in this room with, 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 uh, with, with faces. Father God, let us grab hold of this great mission that you have chosen us for. Let us do it through the power of blessing. Father God, we know this is only possible through your son, Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection on the cross. It's only because of his, your great love for us and the sacrifice of your son that any of this is possible or we're capable of doing any of this.
And so, Father God, as we enter into this time of communion, of family, of, of celebration, this time of remembrance, Father God, we remember him. We remember your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that everyone together says, Amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy a time of communion together.